Um, it's always a privilege and a pleasure to be here with you. As you know, my name's Mark, and I'm one of the pastors of Trinity, and I get to go around to all four of our sites and uh, share God's Word, and it's my uh, blessing to be here with you today. As Mike said, we are in this thing that we've been calling the Red Letter Challenge, and of course we call it that because um, a lot of editors, when they put Bibles together, uh, they made the decision somewhere along the way that the words of Jesus should be in red. And so uh, for a lot of our Bibles, if you look in the New Testament, anything that Jesus said is in red. And so we were, we were asking ourselves the question, the question that Zach, who wrote this book, asked, um, what would happen if we actually did what Jesus said to do? You know, if we actually lived the way Jesus said we should live, what would our lives be like? And uh, one of the things we've been observing, as Mike said, are these kind of five different areas or ways of thinking about the words that Jesus said. Um, read them together with me. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. Those are the five different things. And we've been working our way through those. We've done our being week and our forgiving week and our serving week. And so you can probably figure out what's next. But first of all, i got a question for you. I want you to imagine that I came here today and I said, did you guys know that Jesus talked about toothpaste more than anything else while he was here on this earth? When you look at the red letters of Jesus and you look at all the different things he talked about, Toothpaste is number one on the list. He talked about toothpaste more than anything else. And in fact, he said some pretty profound things about toothpaste. Like he said that if you love toothpaste too much, that there have been people who have actually wandered away from their faith because of toothpaste. Or uh, that Jesus said this. He said, toothpaste and your heart are uh, inexorably linked together. You cannot separate them. Where your toothpaste is, your heart is going to be there too. And where your heart is, your toothpaste is going to be. It's just the way it is. Or Jesus also said this. He said, you have to make a decision in your life. You cannot serve God and toothpaste. You've got to make a choice between those things. But imagine I came here and I said, all those things are true. But by the way, we decided as a church, we are never going to talk about toothpaste. Mike's not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. We're never going to talk about it because we have learned over the years that people don't like it when you talk about their toothpaste. Now imagine if all those things were true. Now they're not, okay? Jesus never said a single word about toothpaste. And in fact, we don't even know if Jesus knew what toothpaste was, if it had even been invented yet. Um, but, uh, but he did say all those things about money. I mean, the fact is, Jesus talked about money more than anything else when he was here on this earth. If you look at those red letter, the red letters of Jesus, and you just add up all the different times Jesus talked about money or finances or possessions, and those are all just different sides of the same coin, Jesus talked about that more than anything else. And the Bible does warn us that there are people that, because they love money, they've actually wandered away from their faith. And Jesus did say, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And, and Jesus warned that you can't serve God and money. These things are all true. But unfortunately, there are a lot of pastors and a lot of churches that never talk about money. And they do that because they know it's uncomfortable sometimes. By the way, you notice that Mike scheduled me to preach this week while we were <laughs> talking about money. No, that, that just happened to be that way, right? Yeah, it just worked out that way. So we are going to talk about money today. We're going to talk about giving, and I know that's a little uncomfortable. I get it. And in fact, we'll talk about maybe why that's so uncomfortable for us a little bit. But we have to, because again, Jesus talked about it more than anything else. And, and, and as you're going to see, there are three truths I want to share with you this morning from God's word about your money, about giving, that I think 
can make a profound difference in your life if you understand them and if you put them into practice. And then finally, I'm going to wrap up with just a little tool that we use all the time at Trinity to help people think through their giving. So let's do that. Let's talk about three truths. And the first truth is this. Giving is the antidote to materialism. Now, the, the reason that truth is so important for us is I would argue that materialism is the number one problem that faces us as Americans in our world today. I mean, when you sit in front of a television, you are bombarded by commercials, right? And, and by the way, every single commercial you watch follows the exact same format. Here's the format. You have a problem. We have a solution. We can change your life if you just give us some money and buy our product. That's, that's really, that is every single ad you see. It's letting you know you have a problem. Sometimes you didn't even know you had that problem. We have the solution. And if you just give us money, we can fix that problem for you. Your life will be changed. Your life will be transformed. That's what we are taught by ads all the time. Now, by the way, um, I don't know about you, but I've started to use technology as best I can to try to avoid commercials as much as possible. Um, we actually have this cool thing set up at home right now where we've got our antenna in the roof, which, which we, we disconnect from cable. We don't have cable anymore in our house. Um, my wife's still mad at me, I think. But anyway, we don't have cable anymore. You know, we use the antenna and we get the free over-the-air program. But I found a way to actually DVR it to my computer hard drive. And then the shows sit on my computer hard drive, and I've got this other program that runs that actually finds all the commercials and marks them in the program. And then when we actually watch it, play it back, it skips over the programs or the commercials automatically. It's awesome. Only one problem. Now when I watch things on YouTube, they throw in ads in the middle of the videos I want to see, right? Have you, have you noticed that? All of a sudden it's ads starting soon, and then there, there's an ad. So they're getting you one way or another. And these ads, like, like I said, they're all telling you the same thing. You don't have enough stuff. Or, 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 or you have problems in your life that money can fix. We're bombarded with that message. And by the way, it's working. Do you know that here in this country, we have more storage units than any other country in the world? There are, they estimate, about 56,000 storage facilities in the world. And 42,000 of them are here in America. In other words, we have so much stuff that our homes can't hold all the stuff so that we have to rent places to take our stuff and leave our stuff. And, and the end result is we forget about our stuff and you have things like Storage Wars. Did you ever watch that show? Where people just open up storage lockers and buy them and try to see if there's anything of value in them. And sometimes it's amazing the stuff that they find there, right? It's working. We live in a materialistic society uh, there's this great book out called The Material World, A Global Family Portrait. This photographer um, spent a couple of years living with different families around the world, and he would live with them for two or three weeks. He lived in places like Thailand and um, uh, uh, Macau and um, uh, Russia and Kazakhstan and just on down the list. All over the world, he lived with people. And then at the end of the week, after he'd kind of write down kind of how they lived their lives and stuff, at the end of the week, the last thing he would do with them before he left was he'd, he'd help them, and they would take all their worldly possessions out in front of their home and put them in a big pile, and he'd, they'd, take, they'd pose with all their worldly possessions. And most of the places, that was fairly easy for them to do. But, of course, right in the middle of the book is the one from the family down in Texas that he lived with. And literally, they filled up the end of their cul-de-sac 
with all their stuff. And it took hours and hours and hours to get that stuff out, take the picture, and get it back in. We have so much stuff. We are bombarded with it. And here's the interesting thing. It's never enough. Uh, they did a, a really, really interesting uh, survey a number of years ago. They got a group of people together that made about an average of about $50,000 a year. That's not a lot in the world today, okay? And, and they asked them, first of all, do you think you make enough money? And, and you can imagine they said no. And they said, okay, how much more would you need to make to feel like you were successful? All right? And the people that made $50,000 a year, they said on average that they needed about five grand more a year. And if they just made about $5,000 more a year, they would feel that they were doing well, that they, were, they could kind of get, finally turn the corner on some things. They wouldn't live paycheck to paycheck. They felt like they could do okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. They asked the exact same questions to a group of people that averaged making about $150,000 a year. Pretty good, Right. And so they said to these people, do you feel like you make enough money? And guess what they said? No. And they said, well, how much more would you need to make to really feel successful, to kind of turn the corner on things, to not live paycheck to paycheck? How much more would you need to make? And guess what they said? About 15 grand. If I made about $15,000 more, I feel like we'd really be doing well. Now, now it gets a little scary because they asked the exact same questions to people that averaged about $900,000 a year. So these are people that almost made a million dollars a year. And first of all, they asked them, do you feel like you make enough money? And guess what they said? No. And they said, well, how much more do you think you need to make uh, to, to really be successful? And guess what they said? About 90 grand. Do you see a pattern here? I mean, seriously, no matter what people made, they asked them, how much more do you think you need to make? And it was always about 10%. Always. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about what you make. Don't say it out loud. Right? Just think about that for a minute. Do you feel like if you made 10% more, that would be significant? I bet you do. I do. Folks, we've all kind of bought into this materialism in this world we live in, this society we live in. It's all about money, and it's all about having just a little more money. And so Jesus' words are really kind of profound for us. Jesus says this to us. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, I, I want you to notice, Jesus, I think, says it backwards. At least... I heard this phrase, I heard this teaching of Jesus for many, many years in my life, and even though Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, I always heard, where your heart is, there your treasure is also. See, I always thought of it as what Jesus was saying is, if you love something, if you care about something, then you're going to invest in that something. But that's not what Jesus says. Now, that's true. That does happen in our lives. We, we see that. If we care about something, we invest in it. But that's obvious. Jesus is trying to make a point that actually the opposite of that is also true and maybe even more true in our lives. What he's saying is when you invest in something financially, your heart follows. I experienced this a, a couple of years ago. I, um, I, was starting to, I was starting to think maybe I needed a new car. You know what that's like? You drive around, you're going, I'm getting a little bored with this car. I've had this car for a while. It's, get, you know, it's getting up there in the miles. Maybe I need a new car. And, uh, and I was just kind of thinking about it. I hadn't really thought about what I'd get or done anything concrete yet. I was just like, yeah, I'm tired of this car. You know? um, and, uh, and, and then I, got a, I had a flat tire. 
So I had to go to the tire store, and they pointed out to me that not only was that tire not worth repairing, but none of my tires were worth repairing, that I didn't have enough tread on my tires. I needed new tires. So I spent some money, got some new tires on the car. And by the way, when they had the tires up, they said, you might want to go get your brakes checked somewhere because it looks like your brake pads are getting. And so sure enough, yep, went, got, needed new brakes, got that done. Um, and I thought as long as I was getting the brakes done, I knew I had had a coolant leak for a little bit. Uh, there a little puddle in the garage. And I said, can you kind of track that down? And yep, yep, they found the coolant leak. They got that fixed. All in all, over about a two-week period, I spent about a grand on that car. Guess what? All of a sudden, I was in love with that car again. <laughs> I, I mean that seriously. I mean, seriously, it's not just that, like, I mean, none of that stuff really affected me, right? I, whether I knew tires or not, I would, didn't, car didn't feel any different or look any different. You know, the fact that the coolant leak was gone, all it did is make sure I didn't have a puddle anymore. But, but, but the reality was, I had just invested a bunch of money in that car, and all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, this car's not so bad. I kind of like this car. I've had this car for a while, but the, the seat fits me now. I'm, I'm just going to keep this car for a while, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So, folks, what, is, what happens to us as people when we live in a materialistic society and we spend all of our time investing in stuff? We give that stuff our heart our houses and our cars and our furniture and our toys and our whatever it is, that stuff that we are constantly investing in, the stuff that we didn't know we missed until the TV told us we did, that stuff that we're constantly investing in, it, it gets our heart. And Jesus is trying to help us see that the antidote to that is giving. When, when we intentionally invest in things that matter, that truly matter. Not, not just stuff that, you know, we're all going to do this at Christmas, aren't we? We're going we're gonna to buy a bunch of toys and stuff like that for our kids. And what's going to happen? You know, like three weeks after Christmas, will they even remember? I, try something for me. Later on today, those of you that have kids, or maybe kids are a little bit older, um, ask, ask them to tell them what, you, what they got for Christmas last year. I bet they don't remember. At least not a lot. Maybe one thing. When we invest in all this stuff, it pulls our hearts away from what is truly important in life. But when we intentionally sit down and say, what, what matters to me in life? What's really important to me in life? And then we invest in those things. That's where our heart goes, Jesus says. And that is the antidote to the materialistic life that we live in. Here's the second truth that God's word teaches us about money. When I give, my money goes places I can't go and accomplish things I didn't even know were possible. Um, it's kind of an amazing thing to think about. Jesus, or um, God said this in the Old Testament to his people. He talks to them about tithing, and I'm going to talk to you in a little bit more about, about what tithing is all about. But he talks to them about tithing, and this is the only place in the whole Bible where God um, specifically says to people, I want you to test me in this. He says, I want you to put me to the test and see if when you give, I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, now, first of all, let me make sure I tell you what Jesus isn't saying here, what God isn't saying here. He's not saying, give me 10 bucks and I'll give you 100 back. You hear some TV preachers say that sometimes. You know, send $20 to my ministry and I guarantee you, God will give you $200 back before you know. No, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is when we give, he will, he will put blessings in our life. 
Not necessarily monetary blessings, not necessarily financial blessings, but blessings in our life. We'll be blessed to be a part of some amazing things. Um, a, uh, I think it was about eight years ago, our church uh, did this thing in Advent where we encouraged people to spend less on themselves at Christmas and instead find a charity that they were excited about and give to that charity. And we had all kinds of ways to help you figure out what charity might be fun for you uh, and your family to invest in. And so as a family, we encourage you to sit down, find a charity, give to it. And so my family, my wife and my son and I, we found this thing called Kiva. Kiva is this thing that does microloans to people around the world. And so, uh, so Betty, Christian, and I sat down, and we decided we were going to give $200 to Kiva. And we weren't going to spend that on ourselves that Christmas. And we, instead, we were going to give it to Kiva. And, and with Kiva, you get to decide who the loans go to. You get to go online and pick the people you want the loans to go to. And then when they get paid back, by the way, you get a little thing saying, hey, the loan's paid back. You can reloan it again. And we've done that. And so over the last eight years, I went online and I looked. We've invested in all these different people all over the world. That's John on the left there. And he lives in Kenya and he builds furniture. And we loaned him some money and helped his business. That's Mary. She's also in Kenya, by the way. And she has a, that, that's her dairy. It's a little different than what a dairy looks like here in the U.S., but she, that's her dairy, and we helped her expand her dairy. Uh, that's Santa Margarita, and she is down in, um, in Colombia, and we helped her with bottles and some other things to expand her business. And that's Toon. He's in Cambodia over there. We helped him buy that scooter that he's sitting on at, so he could start a delivery service. And that's Fayez there in the middle. He is in Palestine, and he has an electronics company, and we helped him buy a piece of equipment that he could use to diagnose what was wrong with cars uh, electronically to help fix cars. And that group on the right, that's the Crystal La Fuente group, they sell cosmetics and clothing, and we help them with inventory. We get to do that stuff. And, and by the way, just got a thing the other day, our loans are all paid back, time to reinvest again. We're going to get to go and do something somewhere else in the world again, all for 200 bucks eight years ago. Isn't that amazing? It's really cool to sit down and look at the difference God made through us with just that simple decision that we weren't going to spend so much money at Christmas time. And by the way, we had a great Christmas that year. We didn't miss the 200 bucks, you know. Amazing. When you give, you go places and do things you never thought possible. Think about the people that have given to Trinity's ministry over the years. I don't know if you know this, but our congregation started in 1960, and there were four couples, eight people. Um, that wanted to start a church. And by the way, they went to our district and, and they said, hey, we're, we want to start a new church in the Lyle area. And they said, that's stupid. That'll never work. They told them no. But one of them just happened to be the cousin of the president of the whole synod. And so she wrote her cousin a letter and said, I'm ticked. Our district president will let us start a church. And he was like, let them try. If they fail, they fail. Who, who cares? And here we are, almost 60 years later, one church but four locations, thousands of people as a part of our ministry. And, uh, and that was all because four people wanted to give some time and effort and finances, by the way. And think of all the people over the years that have given sacrificially to make things happen. By the way, I don't know if you knew, know this, but there's one guy that gave almost a quarter of a million dollars. And if he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have the Trinity Early Childhood Center. And, uh, and think of the families and the lives that have been impacted through that ministry. Folks, when you give, you're a part of something, something bigger than yourself that makes an amazing difference in the world. And, and, and 
you can go places and do things that you could never do on your own, but your money can when you give. Here's the third truth. And maybe it's the most important truth of all. You know, we talk here about Trinity all the time, how we want to be more like Jesus. Well, I could tell you, you are never more like Jesus than when you are being generous, than when you are giving. Think about this. This may be the most famous Bible passage in the whole Bible, right? John 3, 16. There's even guys that hold up signs about it at football games, right? What's that passage? It's God loved the world so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we always think about the his only son part. But just think about it. It says God loved the world so much that he gave. Just that simple. Now what did he give? He did give the life of his son. Uh, first sermon I ever preached at Trinity. This was, I, this was uh, November of 2001. So a lot of years ago. Uh, I looked at them all and I said, I, I, you guys are my new church and I will do just about anything for you. But I got one son. He's my only son and I'm not giving him for you guys. Sorry. If, if, if you say, if you say you got to give up your son, we're done. I, I, I won't do it. But God did, right? God loved you so much. He loved this world so much that he gave. He gave his son. And Jesus loved you and I so much that he gave his life. You know, I hope you're in a small group uh, for this Red Letter Challenge because I've gotten a, a more out of our small group discussions than I have the sermons, right? And, uh, and maybe even more than my daily readings. And we were, during the forgiveness week a couple weeks ago, we were talking about that idea of forgiveness. And we were going back and forth on the, you know, should you forgive someone even if they don't want to be forgiven, right? That's, you, you, maybe you wrestled with that question a little bit when you were thinking about forgiveness. Well, what about that guy that did that to me and he doesn't care whether I forgive him or not? Why should I forgive him, Right? And one of the people in our group said, well, geez, didn't Jesus on the cross say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing? They weren't asking for forgiveness, and Jesus just forgave them. I was like, wow, yeah. Jesus gave his life for you and for me so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored in our relationship with our God. He literally gave everything for us. If you look at his life here on this earth, it's just giving after giving after giving. If we want to be like him, if we want to be like Jesus, we're never more like him than when we are giving. So those are the three truths. And with just a couple minutes left in the message today, I want to use this little tool with you to help you think about where you are at right now with your giving. And by the way, it doesn't matter where you're at. You should know, and it's important that you know and understand where you're at, but it doesn't matter where you're at. What, what does matter is what you do next? Do you take a step? Now, some of you have never given a dime to our ministry here at Trinity or, quite frankly, every, any other ministry. Do you know that studies show about half the people in church on any given Sunday have never given? So you're not alone. In fact, you're almost the majority, right? But people find when they actually take that step, that first step of giving, it can be sometimes the most profound thing to, to sit down and say, you know what? I'm going to give to something bigger than me. I want to be a part of something bigger than me. And so if you've never given, I'd encourage you to prayerfully think about, is it time? Is it time to give? And maybe you do give, but you do it every once in a while. You know, when, hey, I've got a little extra money this month, you're, you're kind of what we would call an occasional giver. That's the step that you're at. 
You know, one of the things it talks about in the New Testament is how giving should be something that's done prayerfully and intentionally. And so I'd encourage you to, to think about that. What would it mean to take that step from being an occasional to an intentional giver? To, to simply have a plan. And again, it doesn't matter how much that is or how often that is. It's just a plan. It's like, okay, we're going to give twice this year, and it's going to be then and then, and this is how much. Or maybe we're going to do once a month or whatever that is. And by the way, it doesn't have to be to Trinity. Certainly, I think Trinity's making a huge difference in this world, but that's not what's important. The important is that you pick something that you're excited about, that you want to be a part of, and that you give. Now, I said before, I talked a little bit about tithing today. Um, God says one of the standards for giving is that we take the first 10%. That seems huge, right? But the first 10% of what we give and, and or what we get, and we give that to make a difference. By the way, I think it's an interesting coincidence that all those people, when you ask them, said they needed about 10% more. And God says, hey, you can get by with 10% less. I'm giving you the 90%, by the way, God says. But he encourages us to make that step of saying, whatever it is I get, 10% of it's going to be given. And I can tell you, by the way, my wife and I, we have been tithers since the day we got married. Uh, we've been married 41 years this year. And, and uh, both of our parents taught us that growing up. And so when we got married, we talked about it, and we decided that's what we were going to do. And wh whether th that first year, I think we made $6,800. That was 1979. And I really, I think our total income that year was 6800 bucks. Now our apartment cost us 150 bucks a month, so that was a little different, right? Um, and you could get macaroni and cheese in the generic boxes for 16 cents. That was pretty amazing. I remember that. But we, we tithed 680 bucks that year. It's a lot of money for us, right? By the way, studies show the more money you make, the less you give. That's the way it's supposed to be. So I'd encourage you to think about that. Is this the year that God is challenging you to take that step to tithe? Or, or maybe you're like, I'm tithing. I'm done. Actually, Tithing's kind of the floor, not the ceiling, people say, right? Um, I love this story. Is this guy named uh, John Wesley, and, uh, and he was a pastor. And in his first year as a pastor, I think he, I forget what n the number was, but he made like 28 pounds. He was over in, in uh, England. Made like 28 pounds that year. And he figured out he needed to live on 26 pounds. And so we only gave two, and he wasn't tithing, and he felt bad about it, but he didn't know how, how else to do it. Well, like... Eight years later, he was making 80-some pounds. And he was still living on the 26 pounds, and he was giving the rest of it away. Now, I, I have a friend who does this, uses this ladder. And he actually uses a physical ladder, and he gets up on each step while he talks about it. So that last step, the extravagant step, he gets up on the top of the ladder, and he stands up there on the top. I'm not doing that. You know, I'd fall. I'd kill myself, right? But he gets up there, and he says this. He goes, it's scary up here. Giving extravagantly is scary. And then he goes like this, but the view is amazing. When we respond to the extravagant love that God has given us by giving extravagantly, we can make an amazing difference in the world. So, so here's my question for you today. Where are you at? And again, like I said, it doesn't matter where you're at. But here's the question. Is God challenging you to just take a step? We're not saying jump up on top of the ladder. Just take a step. I guarantee you, if you do, you will find that, first of all, the grip that materialism has on your life will just start to loosen a little bit. And second of all, you will find that even, even that small amount that you give 
can make an amazing difference and can accomplish things that you could never imagine or, or thought of on your own. And finally, when you do that, you'll know just a little bit more about the heart of Jesus. A God that loves you so much that he gave. Would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, um, in some ways this giving week may be the hardest week in the Red Letter Challenge. Forgiving people that have hurt me, yeah, that's a big deal, but it doesn't affect the bottom line. But Lord, when it comes to giving... We live in a world where it's all about our stuff and money, and um, that materialism is, I believe, the biggest challenge to our faith in our world. Lord, help us be people who are generous. What would it be like, Lord, if Christians were known as the most generous people in the world? People that truly gave selflessly to, to make a difference in the world around us. Lord, help us do that. And selfishly, I guess, help us do that because we know the difference it'll make in our lives. Because you've taught us where our treasure is, there our heart is. And Lord, we want our hearts to be in the right place. We want our hearts to be fully invested in you. Lord, thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.